Amazing, you guys. I need a little more ice for my forehead here. Um, actually, that was not our sponsor. Just those of you watching online, I don't want to get us into a licensing war. Um, that was not our sponsor. However, I think it made a decent introduction for what I'm going to talk about today. How many people remember that commercial? Well, quite a few of you. I think most of you are over 50. That's good. <coughs> Somehow I also fit into that category. Um, what product is this? I think I got another photograph here uh, to show you, right? What is this? Of course it is. How do you know that, though? That, that's not even in English. How do you know that? Well, because of marketing, right? It's the real thing. We just heard that, right? If you drink this, you'll have a real experience. Your thirst will be quenched. Trust me, I just did that. You'll have the perfect moment of relaxation. You know what? They've sold more product around the globe than you can possibly imagine. In fact, their net worth in 2022 was $286 billion. Think about that. That's with a B. $286 billion. And may I remind us that Coca-Cola is just sugar water, right? With artificial flavors and artificial colors. <laughs> wow. My friends, life offers us many experiences, doesn't it? Some real, some fake, false, destructive, even though they're attractive and somewhat fulfilling. Remember how Paul reminded us back in Ephesians? We, we spent a lot of time in the book of Ephesians here earlier, and uh, even a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 6, right? Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we're reminded again in Revelations 12 that the enemy of our hearts and our souls is the deceiver of the whole world. You see, we have a powerful adversary whose job 24-7 is to destroy the image of God, the image bearers of God, right, you and I. The one who is constantly offering enticing, tempting, and somewhat fulfilling things to rob us and to distract us from the fulfilling life that God promises his followers. My friends, we need wisdom, and we need discernment. We need insight that comes from the Holy Spirit to make right choices, to avoid evil, and to truly experience that life that, that, life that Christ has to offer us, as we hear about in John 10, 10, for the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes that we might have life and might have it abundantly, that it might be full and meaningful. That's the kind of life that Christ offers us. As uh, Tyler shared last week, he kind of got us into an introduction of the book of Proverbs, right? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We just saw that again on the trailer here, or the, the bumper that we saw. But he also mentions Solomon, right? The author of this book of Proverbs, son of David, right? One of the wisest and wealthiest men who ever lived. When God appeared to him in 1 Kings 3 and said, ask and I will give it to you. So did Solomon 
ask for riches? No. Did he ask for power? No. Did he ask for fame? No. He asked for an understanding mind to govern the people. God gives him a wise and discerning mind. And wisdom made all the difference in his life. And it actually brought him wealth and power, prosperity. Today we're going to spend a little bit more time in Proverbs. We can uh, often look at Proverbs as a soundbite, right, as a bumper sticker, kind of a pithy statement, our favorite proverb that we can, you know, put out there, right? But it's so much more than that. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we always welcome you. We know that you're already in our midst. But we ask, God, that you would give us wisdom this morning, that you would give us a discerning heart and a discerning mind. God, give us your insights, not just so that we can store them up as knowledge, God, but that we could apply them to our life. We could share them with a lot to the lives of others and that people would listen, not just because we have something intelligent to say, God, but because we're bringing forth the very wellspring of life that comes from you. I pray, God, that you would speak to us in a powerful way and that our lives and our minds would be changed as a result of that. Give us wisdom, Jesus. In your son's name, amen. So today we're going to look at 10 letters <laughs> from a father to a son. We're not going to look at all 10. There's no way I'd be here for hours. Anyone want to stay till like dinner time? I don't think so. Um, but we have a few minutes together. And so we're going to look at these 10 letters, or at least portions of these 10 letters. These 10 letters span from chapter 1, verse 8, all the way through chapter 7. And I would just ask you on your own over the next week or two, just read those seven chapters to get a better idea of what we're going to talk about today. But we are going to talk about some of what I think are some key aspects to this. So in Proverbs 1.8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. I think we always have to pay extra attention in the scriptures when it says, listen up right? Listen up. Hear this. And so I think this is really good right here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Interestingly, in these first lessons, particularly this first chapter of the parental instruction we hear here, the father directs his son's attention to the allure and the enticement of sinners. If we remember from 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character, right? So the father is saying, son, these are the voices that you're going to hear when you leave home, right? You've been somewhat protected. You've been provided for. This has been a, a place of, of comfort, a, a place to listen and to, to be guided. But now you're going to go out on your own, and you're going to hear voices, and you need to be able to discern between right and wrong and what those, exactly what those voices are saying, right? So it's like a warning in a sense, just like in Ephesians 6. 
He says this in 1, 10 through 16. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. You know, I was struck by this. His friends, right, saying this, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, basically join us, right? We will have one purse. When did that ever happen? <laughs> Do you guys remember? Like the old cowboy movies when the robbers all, you know, robbed the train and said, hey, we're going to share all this, right? When did that ever happen? Never. One person always got greedy, right? Stole it, ran, maybe killed all the rest of them. It never happens. Oh, but that's the promise, right? Just join us, and you can have splendor beyond belief, right? We're all going to share this. Father is very clear. Do not follow the path that they're on. Like I said, one of the earliest lessons we can learn in developing discernment and wisdom is learning what to listen to and who to listen to. And I hate to say it, it's harder now than it ever has before, right? With the internet, there is so much information out there, so much that you can watch and listen to and spend your time with all day long. And my friends, as we all know, not all of it's true, not all of it's helpful, not all of it is even beneficial, right? But we have to know what are we listening to and who are we listening to. Godly wisdom is godly knowledge applied. It's one of your points in the notes there if you're taking notes. Godly wisdom is godly knowledge applied. It's putting into practice God's commands and the life he offers and rejecting those things that ultimately lead to death and destruction. We can choose to learn from God and from others that we trust, right, who are trustworthy, to instruct us like the Father's doing here, to share with us, to warn us, to learn from those who have gone before us. My friends, we don't have to put our hand on a hot stove, right? Someone has already done that. And the consequences are the same every single time. Right? We can learn from that. That's wisdom. Don't put your hand on a hot stove. We can also choose to learn from our own life's experiences, right, and reject those things that distract and lead to destruction. We can apply godly wisdom to almost every decision we make and choose the real thing, not a thousand imposters that are out there. So point number two is trust in the Lord with all of your heart. James in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. My friends, it's not just that we're tempted. Sometimes we're being tested. And the testing of our faith 
produces perseverance, James says. When we stand up to those temptations that come our way and choose the right path, guess what happens? It becomes easier to stand up to that temptation in the future, and our faith is strengthened. Proverbs tells us the rest of the story, or gives us the rest of the story. If you choose this way, my son, if you trust the Lord with that, my daughter, you will be rewarded. You know, I think our kids have been given our lists of what to avoid, right? But why are we all still so tempted by the counterfeits that are out there? Maybe, maybe we need to give them the larger story, not just the negative reinforcement of the consequences. Not saying those aren't important, but it can't be where we stop, right? Maybe it's connected to the fact that we might not know God well enough or have yet experienced the life and the intimate relationship with him to, ex- to the extent that he takes our breath away. I believe if God becomes so real and so needed and so necessary in our lives, if we choose to stand on his promises and his promises alone, it will be very difficult for something to be else to become an idol for our attention or as an adulteration of our faithfulness in what that looks like. I love this next section that we're going to, to look at, and again, I'm not going to cover chapters 1 through 7. I can't, but we're going to look at a portion of chapter 3 here because it's not just, son, watch out. This is evil. Avoid this. It's a different thing. It's a different way of looking at this. It says, my son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of day and years of life and peace will be added to you. My friends, it's not just avoid this. It's if you do this, here's the promise. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Long life and peace. Now that's something to live for, isn't it? Do not forget my teachings. Let your heart keep my commandments you'll be given long life and peace. It goes on, the very, next, the very next scripture says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. What's the promise there? Favor and success with God and man. The next verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's one of my favorites. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. The promise is straight paths. He will keep you from so much pain and agony if you just follow him. Next, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. The promise there is physical healing and refreshment, not something simple and fleeting like I just had with my friend Coca-Cola. Oh, no. Something much, much deeper. Fulfillment in your bones. 
refreshment in your bones, healing in your flesh. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And that's the promise. Finally, in 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting <laughs> with wine. It doesn't get any more clear than that, does it? Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with what you have and with the first fruits of all you produce. And his promise is abundant provision. I love Proverbs because it's so practical. There's warnings and there's promises. Point number three, a father's wise instruction. We get this in chapter four, verses one through five, where he says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4, 1 through 5. He's saying, not only am I giving you wisdom and insight today, not only am I asking you to heed my words and the commandments that I'm giving, but I got those from someone else. I got those from my own father. He passed down godly wisdom to me, and I'm passing it down to you. Now, what if we didn't have that godly wisdom passed on to us from our earthly father like this father did? I know that I didn't. My father was not a believer. One of the most important things in my life, obviously my faith, I just couldn't share with him to the depth that I wanted to. And it was heartbreaking. And as I was reading this passage, this one in particular, it reminded me of a time when my wife and I, my whole family actually, were up in Alaska and we were leading a men's ministry up there. And it was all, well, it was all summer long we took the first half of the summer and the students stayed up there because we imparted into them, we discipled them, we helped young men become men during that summer in Alaska. These were all students from the lower 48. There's about 30 of them. So they came up, we spent five summers doing this and it was some of the most amazing times. I wish I had time to tell you these stories, but one thing in particular stood out to me, especially in regarding this, Every one of those students needed to get a job during the summer. It wasn't so they'd make money, although they did, because they were working in the community, but it was because we wanted them to have a witness. We wanted them to have an outreach. We wanted them to be in the community and to share the love of Christ with those people they worked with. So the students needed to get a job, and we had transportation for them in the form of bicycles. <laughs> now, we'd gotten those from you know, all kinds of yard sales over the years. Some of them were really good bikes and some of them were terrible. But these students had to ride their bike to and from work every day. This one summer in particular, I had a student named Dan who showed up a couple of days early and I really 
we didn't want that because we're really trying to get the project ready and, and then, you know, set the table and be ready for the students. But he, he had to come early, so I'm like, okay, Dan, come, come ahead. So he came, and I asked the student, or excuse me, the staff person that was going to be discipling him and the other five people that were in his living area, uh, just to meet Dan and, you know, show him around a bit. So he was doing that, and I was in our um, living space, and I looked out the window, and here's, here's Dan on his bicycle, or a bicycle that he'd taken from the project, and the staff guy was, was pushing him from behind, and Dan's wobbling, and then he lets go, and, you know, Dan's still, he's, whoa, and then he crashes, you know, into a tree, but he does it again and again, and, and pretty soon he's riding this bicycle, and as he's doing this, I was struck by something. Where was Dan's father when he was growing up? Or maybe his mother? Because at least in my world, parents passed that skill on to their kids, riding a bike, right? How many of you taught your kids how to ride a bike? Many of us. And so in my mind, I was like, there was a deficit here. What, what happened in Dan's life to where he didn't learn how to ride a bike until he was you know, 20 years old as a young man? In Alaska. But I can tell you this, particularly when it comes to godly wisdom, our Heavenly Father has in my life, and He will continue to in any of our lives, fill in those gaps, fill in those deficits, fill in whatever has been missing from our lives. Our Heavenly Father loves us, right? And He gives us everything we need or could ultimately desire if we let Him do that. But unfortunately, sometimes we try to fill these missing relational pieces with other things. And that brings me to a final point here. Chapters 2 and then 5 through 7. It's a significant portion of what, um, what we've been looking at today. I don't have time to go into all the details of this, but I will say this. Chapters 2 and 5 through 7 say this. Avoid the adulterous woman. Avoid the adulterous woman. Why? Why would she be such an attraction? What is she offering? Is she offering love? Is she offering affection, attention, validation? Well, here's what she offers. 2.6, chapter 2, verse 16, sorry. She flatters with her words. She flatters with her words. Men need validation, right? They need to know that they're doing the right thing. She flatters with her words. Her mouth is smoother than oil, chapter 5, 3 says. Her lips drip with honey, it says. She's outwardly beautiful, chapter 6, 24 and 25. She knows where to locate herself to be seen, chapter 7, 11 and 12. She decorates herself and her surroundings, right, to look good, to, to be inviting, Chapter 7 and 7, 10 and 16 through 17. And she makes arrangements. She lets him know that no one will ever know. 
chapter 7, verses 14 and 7, 19 through 20. And then there's the final invitation. With much seductive speech, she persuades him all at once, he f- and he follows her. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Chapter 7, 21 through 23. The father repeatedly warns him, avoid the adulterous woman. Watch out for her. These are the things that she's going to entice you with. These are the things that she's going to offer you. And it's sugar water. It's not real. It's not going to satisfy like the real thing. Watch out. Be careful. My friends, a spider web... That's not the most powerful thing that you might run into, but it holds you long enough for the spider to come. And then it wraps you up. And then it paralyzes you. And then it's really, really hard to escape. Right? It's progressive. It's fleeting. It's false. It's like sugar water. It leaves you wanting more salt water, I should say. Right? all the water in the ocean, and if you start drinking it, you will die. If you're thirsty, you're vulnerable. And keep this in mind, my friends. Nobody woke up this morning saying, you know what, I think this would be a good day to ruin my life, to destroy my marriage, to destroy my relationship with my kids. Nobody ever says that, and yet it happens, right? But it starts way back there. And the book of Proverbs leads you through the whole journey that we need to be aware of and be careful of and avoid those simple enticements, right? Those offers from the enemy. Just sit down. Just try this. So what is real love? We saw the something that doesn't last, but what is real love? In Matthew 22, 36, Tyler mentioned this last week as well, Jesus is asked the greatest commandment, and he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 1 Corinthians 13, at least 4 through 7, says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It is not self-seeking. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's real love. And how did God demonstrate his love? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus says in John 15.13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us, right? A sacrificial love where he gave his whole life for the world, even for his enemies that were mocking him as he hung on a cross. This, my friends, is real love. Not selfish or self-seeking, not just fulfilling fleshly desires. If we truly know and experience real love, 
I believe any temptation from an adulteress will pale in comparison. But my friends, this is important. It's not just about avoiding traps. Yes, we need to avoid the traps, but it's not just about avoiding the traps. It's about experiencing, living out, modeling our faith in such a way that those traps are no longer alluring, no longer inviting, no longer representative of real life. How? Because they can be seen as an imposter. They can be seen as counterfeit. Why? Because you're so familiar with the real thing. Nothing else compares, right? Nothing else compares to the life that God offers. Yes? Amen. I want to show you a photograph. Uh, this is, uh, maybe some of you are familiar with this, a $100 bill. That's the earlier one that you probably remember, and then this is like a newer one, right, that has way more bells and whistles, right? To make it what? To make it harder to counterfeit, right? From my understanding, the U.S. Treasury Department, it trains its agents to study the real thing. They spend hours and hours and hours studying the real thing, not just knowing the latest fake that comes through, the latest counterfeit. Why? Because there's hundreds of those coming all the time from all around the world. They study the real thing. Why? Because they know it. They know the real thing and nothing else compares. And my friends, I think that's what we need to do when it comes to the God of the universe, right? Maybe another illustration that sits a little bit closer to home for us. Noticed it during our baptism, right? When mom's in the baptism, what's the little baby doing? She's crying because she wants her mom. Is the person with, that she's with her mom? No, right? Have you ever tried to babysit a newborn? Someone else is newborn and they're leaving for the first time? How, how'd that go? <laughs> Not good. How would a, a newborn, in, you know, even brought to the children's ministry or a, a little baby that hasn't been away from its mom ever? How, how, how did that go? <laughs> it was crazy, right? Why? Because that baby is intimately connected with its mother, and you are not their mother, right? And they recognize that their mother is the real thing, and that is all that matters. Could we be that way with God? Why do we need this wisdom that comes from God? Because through God's wisdom, we will experience our lives in ways that bring honor to God, that bring his promises through his word. We saw some of those, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. So where do we go from here? Our knowledge of God and his word must be applied it must be demonstrated. It must be modeled. It must be given like this father to his son. It must be imparted to those around us. And as we direct others to the source of real life, which is Jesus, and as people see the wisdom of our witness, right, through the knowledge applied, through our love and through our lives, through our works, they will see more clearly the Savior of the world at work in our hearts and in our lives, and in our church, 
and many, many more people will be baptized like we saw today, right? I want to show you a photograph. Um, one of our partners in ministry is Christoph. He's from Rwanda. He is a ministry of reconciliation between murderers and perpetrators, sorry, perpetrators and victims of the genocide back in 1994. They're still doing this work over there. This is Christoph. He actually was speaking at a conference in Chicago, and I said, hey, why don't you come, you know, come through Seattle on your way home, and so he did. He spent almost a week with us, and one of the things I did is I took him along the North Cascades Highway, right, that you know, starts in Pateras, I think, and goes all the way to Burlington. Anyone taking that drive? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Right, it's absolutely beautiful. So here he is, just enjoying this view uh, to Lake Diablo, and you know. Then I show him this picture, and it's so funny because I, I brought out my camera after I'd taken that photo, and I just showed him the photo, and he took my camera from me, and he started freaking out. He's like, "Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Jesus of Nazareth!" And he's dancing and running around the parking lot with my phone. And I'm just laughing. I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here, right? He's over the top excited. <clears throat> and we get in the car. We start driving, and I'm like, Krista, what, what was that all about? He's like, Mark, I, I've, I live in Rwanda. It's, you know, the country of a thousand hills. I, I, I've been to uh, Cape Town. I've been to the Swiss Alps. I've been to Chicago. Um, you know, he just mentions all the places in, that he's been. But he says, I've never seen anything so glorious that reminds me so much of who God is as this place. He was standing in God's creation, and I showed him a photo of it. He was surrounded by God's creation. And it took his breath away. My friends, if, if God doesn't take our breath away, Something else will. I promise you. If we're truly captured by the real thing, everything else pales in comparison. If we're snared in addictions or going after things that glitter like fool's gold, yet don't ultimately bring the life that God wants for us, the kind of life that Christ brought, like I mentioned in John 10.10, 10, the abundant life, the purposeful life, true freedom, Maybe we need to be more connected with the authentic, life-giving, awesome, incredible God who created you and I, who knows us, who loves us, and who rescued us from utter darkness. That's our God. So as we go uh, through the next week, maybe, let's focus on the real thing <laughs> and choose the real life that God offers us. We saw just a glimpse of it in this book today, in the book of Proverbs. Why? So that he becomes all that matters and the temptations of the enemy lose their allure, lose their power because he's nothing like our God. Let's pray. God, we, we need you we recognize that we cannot live this life apart from you. We recognize that there is so much out there that's vying for our attention, that, that is enticing us. Even when we walk by a, a storefront, 
um, there's something there that says, hey, stop, look at this. Maybe I, maybe I need that. Or maybe we don't need that. Maybe we need you more than anything else. God, give us wisdom. Give us godly wisdom and help us to apply the knowledge that we have so it's not just locked up in our brain, but so that it is helping the world that we live in, particularly those who we don't want to see have to go through the same things that we have. Help them, God, to take the wisdom and the insight and the discernment that we offer, but more importantly, that your word offers. And may we store it in our hearts like like the gold that it is. In Jesus' name, amen.